So the beauty of value of the end beneficiary of whatever you're doing is that it doesn't belong to you, it doesn't belong to me. It actually is independent. Whether you and I exist or don't exist, it exists. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My guest today calling from London is Sanjeev Lumba, who is the author of The Ninth Gear. He is a transformationalist, a former CEO, strategy director. And one of the reasons I'm really excited to chat with him is because of how he approaches, well, transformation. You know, what that means, how to drive it forward, the implications um, from lived experience. So Sanjeev, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to chat. Hey, thanks, Anthony. Joy to be here with you and and your listeners. Perfect. Well, I I gave my introduction about who you are, but of course, a career of experience can only be summed up so shortly. But uh, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your background, what brought you to where you are today, and we can get into some questions? Sure, sure. Look, uh, it was in in the early days of, of my career when I was merely 21, training to be a junior I was a junior accountant. I was I qualified as a as an accountant. I did an MBA. But while I was going through that that whole accountancy financial training, I used to end up spending a lot of time speaking to the clients about, uh, hey, you know, there's a new market over here, and there's a there's a great product over here to do, and and you know, there's an incredible potential in your, your people, or you could do a merger and so on. And that taste gave me uh, or that taste for transformation and being able to find, you know, I have something that I call, I have a disease, <laughs> which I call potentialitis. And <laughs> I I just go around uh, and I can't help seeing potential. It sounds a little trite, sounds a little cliched, but it really is like that. I, it's, it's just a kind of thing. And my managers used to get very angry with me to say, hey, Sanjeev, here's the red pen, here's the blue pen, you know, tick and bash. So then the day I qualified, I quit accountancy. I did an MBA. But because I wanted to go into this entire area of bringing about the kind of gains and, and changes and transformations in individuals and in teams in organizations and so on, that I decided after my MBA that rather than going into consulting, uh, was to work for uh, work in industry. Because I, I, you know, it, it's a very straightforward thing. I don't have any right to say any of this stuff to anyone, unless I've had the opportunity of doing it myself and 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 done it. And and that and that to me is 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 very precious. And you know, when I when I qualified from Cranfield and did my MBA, it, on on graduation day, you had the big consulting firm sitting there, and they sit with their their catalog, and they call you and say, "Oh, Mr. Lumba, would you like to come and sit down?" Uh, you were thinking, why don't you think uh, about about us? And it wasn't, it it really was industry that I wanted to cut my teeth. So then I went into industry. I did, I was finance director, marketing director, strategy director, and then CEO of different corporations, different countries, different industries. And that that career, that corporate career, was designed to be able to do what I do now. And during that time, what I realized, Anthony, was. Actually, the world has got this the wrong way around. 
we're seeing everything. We're seeing business from the wrong angle. And that's why I say now that that I think that I would love to be able to replace the word entrepreneurship with valuepreneurship because an entrepreneur uh, says, how much product can I make? How much service can I do? Who can I sell it to? How much money can I make? Which is good, which is fair enough. The valuepreneur does exactly the same business, but comes from a completely different angle. And, and, and the starting point for the valuepreneur is who's out there. And what are the changes in the world? How are they impacting and setting the new priorities on whom I'm serving? And then and only then sets about building responses to be able to service that value. And 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 it, so that has been my my gig and my thing in the last 27 years when I quit corporate life as CEO in Paris of a of an IT company, which I had the good opportunity of being able to double in size in two years to 5,000 man and all that kind of stuff. But the last 27 years has been dedicated to helping people and organization to evolve really in, in their thinking and in their, their capacity and reaching kind of destinations that that they wouldn't dare set for themselves. That's the scene and just been absolutely loving it. <laughs> cool. I love that. And what's what's so fascinating about about that and and just hearing it is, you know, you've really had two careers and I'm sure you might say, hey, well, I've had more than my share of two careers within that. But looking at the one in industry leading, you know, a CEO of a 5,000 person company globally, you know, it's it's no small feat. And then taking the time to be, you know, the, like author, mm-hmm. author, speaker, and shifting how people think about doing business. So there's what, what was struck me is that in the past, call it 20 years, and you might be able to tell by my complexion that I have had a few turns around the sun, but not too many, is the, evo- <laughs> uh, the evolution of, of work and being able to do a business. It's only been in the past 20 years that the internet's been around the kind of great equalizer of anybody in their room can start a business with a scale of a global company technologically. And then still now, as you look in 2023, I see the evolution of both intrapreneurship, entrepreneurs within organizations. But if I look at valuepreneurship, and not to use the term incorrectly, but saying, how can we evolve what we do for a greater benefit? How do we help those? How do we drive the organization forward? The last thing that I'll say before I open it back up is I saw this innovation that they created in Belgrade of this liquid tree that they've created to put in cities to be able to sequester carbon equivalent to two 10-year-old trees. And I thought that was fascinating, but somebody created that because they said, hey, I've got people outside. I've got people that need what I want, and I'm not just trying to like make a buck by selling a widget. I'm trying to do something there. So my question to you is, Having been on all these stages, having educating all of these people, what is your current view on the state of entrepreneurship globally? What are people trying to take on? What are they struggling with? And uh, how are you helping them do that? Cool. Wow, what a question. Because and 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 as you were saying, that now and and to put a cliche on it, that the world is really actually your oyster because through technology and so on, you you have that absolutely incredible opportunity to be to be able to to do whatever you want to do. But to 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 answer your question, here's the thing: the world is is still stuck in in what I call the me sphere, and and that's that's where and and here's the interesting thing: we need to move into the you sphere. And the example you gave of the two trees is just absolutely perfect. That what is this whole notion of what makes you more successful? 
why is is this whole value and chasing of value that that much that much more rewarding not only financially but also personally and i'll come back to one or two examples and give that give that to you right now but to to take your point that how what do i see the, how do i see the state of business at the moment and the and, and by the way this is business this is organizations this is individuals this is teams this is units everywhere we're talking about is political organizations you know boris johnson frankly and i don't want to make this political could have been prime minister for as long as he wanted if that there was a genuine value direction towards the improvement of 80 million people in their lives so the the issue right now is people are stuck in the me sphere and then they they need to see it the moment you see it from the from not what you're doing but what you are bringing not not your work but what you are impacting through that work that you you you'll find all all the success cuz taking your point with technology being so open today how do you differentiate how do you even differentiate anyone can find if I, if if someone wants to find a supplier if i want to go out and find a plumber right now you know i can easily uh, uh, come up with with 200 within within about 20 you know 20 minutes and and then and and they're all at the core at the essence saying exactly the same thing i can do this i can do that well frankly can someone say anything different you know so so that is 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 the essence what when you come at it from the other angle So let me give you an example. I mean if you take laptops and you take uh, Dell and 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 IBM and and Acer and Lenovo and HP and and all that they're all competing with each other. So they're trying to differentiate against each other. And I'm saying differentiation is now dead. Today's world requires someone much much bigger than that. And I call that not being differentiated but being distinguished. Because if I said to you an Apple MacBook Air or something like that, whether you're a fan or not, can you name me a competitor? and that sits on a planet of its own so the answer to this is just switch it the other way around first start from really understanding who's out there where's your market how are they segmented what are they and that kind of stuff which is which is fairly straightforward but then really be obsessed not just with the value of the product or service they're looking for but with the business value it's delivering to them and the personal value that they're getting out of it ultimately it all boils down to that there's hundreds of stories if the time permits you know i can i can share with you but well maybe i'll i'll so i i think i get that so i was on a conversation with somebody they were a nonprofit trying to do their strategic plan they did it through an rfp and they said you know what's the difference between a for profit organization strategic plan and a nonprofit strategic plan and i said effectively no difference but the difference is how important you make your stakeholders. And so what I hear about what you're saying is your stakeholder effectively is the person that you're targeting. But the difference is is in the language and the perspective. Are you writing about me or are you writing about you? As a marketer and salesperson, my brain goes to the kind of scarcity mindset of saying, if I hyper target a key group or a niche of people that I'm going to miss out on all of these people but if you look at the inverse and saying if you hyper target these people the use in this case those use are going to gravitate so closely with what you're offering that you're going to have a more deeply entrenched customer again I'm not using the right words but that you are so focused on them versus focused on you and what you deliver that that is the the future of sales and entrepreneurship do I more or less have what you're suggesting 
More, more okay. than less. <laughs> I mean, there's no. It's it, it is exactly that. Let me give you an example. I was I was working on a company in in Asia. I won't name them, but they're a pretty big supplier of car seats and full car seat systems. Right. So they invited me to come and work with them and uh, with the, the the executive management team and develop their strategy or reposition their strategy and so on. So. First, first thing in the morning, I have these 12 brilliant gentlemen, all of them as it happened. Was, and, and I said, folks, what's your business? What are you in? And they started scratching their heads and they were thinking, hey, Sanjeev, yesterday we took you all around the plant and spent a whole day with you taking you around the business and, uh, and, and telling you, and, and you're asking us what business we're in? And I said, it's a simple question. What business are you in? All right. So someone put their hand up and said, well, we're in the business of making car seats and selling car seat systems. And we've got uh, new technologies in this way and that way, et cetera. I said, oh, really? And I, and I yawned and I yawned. And then, and then I said, well, who for? But here's, I, I then said to them, has anyone bought a car recently, a new car? And someone said, yeah, I did. I did. I said, well, t- uh, blow by blow, detail by detail, can you describe to me the whole process when you went in to buy the car? He said, yeah, I went to the showroom. I said, then what happened? He said, I saw all the cars standing there. And I said, then what? He said, I went up to the one that that I, I thought the, was going to be the right one for me. And I said, then? He said, then I opened the door. And I said, then? He said, then I put my I put my hand on the seat. I said, yeah, how did that feel? He said, yeah, that, that, that felt pretty good. And then... He said, then I sat in the seat and and it had that new uh, car leather smell. And how did it feel? Oh, it was pretty comfortable. I said, now we're getting somewhere. So tell me, why did you buy the car? And that's the big question, of course. You know, and he said, "Well, I bought it because uh, as a family, we're doing. I have two young kids, and we go traveling, and we go traveling to to great uh, historical sites. That's our thing to do at the weekend." I said, okay. And what are the conveniences, inconveniences? He said, well, the kids in the back, my daughter and my son are always fighting with each other because uh, uh, one wants to see this movie and one wants to see that movie. And I said, what else? He said, well, my wife complains. I'm, I'm cutting this short because her back is hurting. And, and I said, what about you? He said, yeah, you know, she wants the air conditioning down and I want it cooler, etc." I said, okay, have you thought about this? That in the back seats, in the rear seats, you have on the, the TV screens, in, in the headrest, a speaker in the seat that just comes down. So your son and your daughter can be watching completely different things. And have you thought of a, about a massager for your, in, in the passenger seat? And you've thought about chilled seats. I mean, now, uh, you know, it's interesting in my car, all of these things are there. But this, this is going back about five or six years. So here's the thing. You are no longer a maker of car seats or a seller of car seats. You are a bringer of amazing weekends, sharing the, the historical beauty of, with, with your children and discovery. And that's actually what the customer buys. The customer doesn't buy a car. I'm not saying anything new, by the way. I'm saying absolutely nothing new. You'll be surprised, Anthony, that as we were doing this, they were making notes. And I say, you've got to be kidding me, guys. Am, am I saying something so weak? You know, But what I'm saying is perfectly understood. It, there's nothing new about this. What is completely new about it is that in my experience working with and I can, I'm saying this with incredible humbleness, modesty, and, and, and gratitude. Please understand that. With thousands and thousands of people and coaching them, developing them in hundreds and hundreds of companies and organizations and developing their strategies or leadership or whatever. The, the newness of it is that everyone says the right thing. 
But when it comes down to it, it's revert to type. Mm -hmm. We go inside out. Mm -hmm. The Concorde was not an innovation. It was a brilliant invention. <laughs> it was an, a stunning invention. If it was an innovation, we would have seen Mark II and Mark III flying around today. There's no supersonic airliners. And the reason was because there was no value effectively in the market to be that it was serving. It was just something stunning and brilliant that came out of people's heads. So we've got to reverse this whole thing and look at it from the other perspective. By the way, that that organization I just talked about then opened up their, their business with Honda and Hyundai in, in the following year, developed around this principle and absolutely raked in the market. But there's processes. You've got, you know, none of this, even in the book, there's nothing that I say which then behind it isn't uh, supported by exact step-by-step -step techniques, which I've experienced through running corporations. Um, it's, it's a mindset. It's a thinking. You know? Hey, Anthony here. One of the things I don't talk too much about on the podcast is what we do at SME Strategy. So I wanted to let you know that if you and your team are thinking about getting together you know, this winter or even in the new year for strategic planning, that we'd be happy to have a conversation to see how we might be able to help your team walk through the strategic planning process and make sure that your people, your strategy, your culture are on the same page. One of the most exciting parts about the work that we do is being able to lead people through a proven process to help them get to where they want to go. If you're interested about that process, our video about it on YouTube just hit over a million views. So be sure to check that out. Let us know what you think. Uh, but most importantly, I wanted to let you know that if you are looking for somebody to partner with your team to support everybody in getting aligned, moving forward towards a clear set of goals and objectives, and really making sure that you have the foundations for that next stage of growth, that we can partner with you to do that whether that's through an offsite strategic planning session or you know follow-up support services to keep you accountable to help your team grow and develop or really to lead a full transformation so if you're interested check out smestrategy.net you can check out our about page our services page it'll tell you more about how we do things and i'd be happy to have a conversation with you to see if we're a good fit to help thanks so much i appreciate you listening to the podcast and now let's get back into the episode no, I absolutely agree. And so I'm just, you know, what I'm thinking of. So I think of 2023 and I think of how people's buying patterns have changed. So again, if we take a look at back, you know, there was the power was all in the seller. Now the power is all in the buyer. I think even in the past two, three years, there's been drastic changes to how consumers buy, how they want information. I don't know what drove it, but let's just say that there is. So you have all of these businesses updating their column sales funnels, sales and marketing funnels, so that sales and marketing is more integrated. That's kind of how I see it because I'm a big sales and marketing guy. But that's only half of the equation. As in, if you're not talking, like you said, there's systems and processes behind it. If you're not integrating your product, your delivery, your customer, your research teams into that whole thing, then you're selling fluff that doesn't get delivered. If you are integrating it into the product teams, but you're not talking about it into your sales and marketing, then you're building something that nobody knows about and there's a disconnect. And so it's the importance of, I call it personalization, but delivering the key features that your key features and benefits, and that's a reductionist way of thinking about it, for your ultimate customer so that you can 
have that defensibility in your marketplace, how you can have a long-term sustainable competitive advantage. But even at the basic level, people aren't going to buy stuff that they don't need. And I think the reckoning of startups who have built products that don't deliver any value, but they brought an idea that they think is good, but the customer doesn't want, they're surviving because of investment. But I think that they're going to quickly die because there's just not enough use out there to support it. And I think the faster an organization can get to, whether that's product market fit or the evolution of the customer's needs, that's how they're going to be able to create that that transformation in their organization. So not just, you know, incremental improvement, but transformation to get to that next point, that next point, that next point based on, on what they need. Thoughts on that? But it's incredible. I think you and I should write the next book together. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're so, so incredibly aligned. Marketing and sales, That where where is the difference? To me, marketing uh, in the old sense, uh, in the bad sense, selling was telling, marketing is listening. And now, uh, because sales needs to become just a, a big, fat listening process to be able to engage with the customer. And you, you said that I'm not... And when you're saying how did how did we arrive here in this in this chaotic world, uh, and and there's there's something beautiful which has brought us here. On the one hand, you've got people who are supercharged and very very clever and coming up with 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 technology, with products, with services, with with all sorts of stuff. You know the 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 creativity flow has been ridiculously supercharged, turbocharged, helped by technology, but also helped by the openness of the thinking in the environment as a whole. So on the one hand, you've got these people coming up with incredible solutions. On the other hand, you've got a world in absolute chaos, and which, which, which is throwing up amazing opportunities, amazing opportunities. Now, it's, the, the problem here is matching the two and bringing the two together. Is is the one that that wins, and and you've got to go the you know this way around. So uh, in in COVID times, I was I was doing a strategy for a hotel group, and and of course, as you can well imagine, that that they went through some horrible horrible times and and etc. But just one small example that it, they have five star hotels and they've got very well known uh, chefs and 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 kitchens and things. And and then they launched into a whole business of doing online parties. So, you know, if, if 50 of us were attending a birthday party or whatever, they would then deliver beautiful cakes and packages and all that kind of stuff to exactly the same ones to all 50. And then, you, you know, the story. But it took off madly. It, it took off. Mad. So, you know, they were able to sustain quite a lot of the of the staff. So out of the change, out of the, the the chaos was born and revealed new values. The beauty of this is that value of the market is constantly evolving and changing. And that, that is the most exciting thing you can think about. And if we get stuck in the arrogance of saying, this is who I am, this is what I do, then you disappear. What, what happened to Kodak or to BlackBerry or to Nokia? And so the world was changing. And the, these big, huge, gorgeous, fabulous brands, what happened to them? It didn't evolve at the rate of the changing nature of the values of the market. And that's where and that's where they went. So, so I think we're in a very, very exciting world right now, if we see it the right way around, if we see it the right way around. 
And I think that's so well, if you ever, I remember the, um, if you ever saw the Marvel movie, the Avengers movie, and I've got this pen in my hand and the, the visualization is not perfectly balanced like Thanos's thing. It, it, you know, and hopefully our listeners understand what I'm talking about. But what I hear is that the dichotomy or the duality of transformation is that on one hand, you can take advantage of it to kick your business up into ninth gear. I don't know if that's what that means, but that's how I look at it and elevate your ability to do it on the flip side not managed that the transformation you will be the victim air quotes of transformation at, at the expense of it so i think it's you know you choose the path you want to be on the taking advantage of it or suffer from it and i think it's really important for all of our listeners to not get stuck in the arrogance that our business will be around forever we will have these things it is not always uh, call it a transformational once in a lifetime event like COVID or the recession or a banking failure or whatever the heck is going to happen to our world next week. But often it could be, a, you know, a death from a thousand cuts that slowly your market goes away, slowly the opportunities disappear, slowly the customer doesn't, you know, it happens slowly and then it happened fast. And I think that people are going to start seeing that, especially in 2023, as this economic tightening happens. I know we could talk forever, Sanjeev, but I have one kind of final question about. You know, in you've obviously built all of these learnings in your you know 27 years speaking and talking to people and working with these organizations. What was one big aha or reflection that you had in your industry career, potentially that as you were a CEO, that shaped how you work with people or how you understand this, or that was formative in terms of the perspectives you take today? And then we'll finish up our interview. Wow. Wow, a royal question. And that moment was I can I can actually <laughs> Almost, I remember this sitting in in Alsace in uh, in my office in in a beautiful town called Colmar in France, and after a project that we were working on and some and and a couple of very very difficult meetings across which was across collaborative teams that that were meeting, I came back to my office and I sat down and it, I realized that actually. The biggest scourge on this this planet is disunity. There's disunity. There's disunity, uh, of course, at, at country levels. Whether you 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 take Brexit or you take this or you that or uh, you know or, or what's happening in Russia or or, or India or wherever, there is disunity. Then when you come to organizations uh, and you do a merger and there's you know uh, there's disunity. Take a take a team or across teams in in an organization, the finance team, the marketing team, the flat, the plant or the operations are are all at uh, you know in in their own zones. And then it comes down to individuals within a team. And that was a moment that I thought we've got it wrong, and everyone was pushing their agenda. And it comes back to the same principle that I'm talking about what I can do and I'm missing what we can bring. And the, and 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 I remember that time. It was a huge project. We were going into a joint venture with a, with a major company and, and setting up. I, I won't go into the depth of that. But that I then sat down and got the whole organization to, to think in terms of first we went back to say, guys, stop. Who are our customers? What are their what's their their priorities? What's changing in their world? What new priorities is it is it throwing up? And and we actually calculated that. I set up a process which now I use all the time in in bringing about the strategic shift. 
actually calculated the, the, the values and so on. And, and now the discussions were not happening on what process should we do, which plant should we make, what, how much, where should we, how should we market this and the things that you're talking about. These are all flowing sequentially after we've got the value sorted out. The moment that we went into the value of the customer's discussions, here's the interesting thing, Anthony, no one could disagree with anyone. Hmm. Because you can't. The, you know, the problem with disagreement is that it's uh, me, I'm saying my way and my thing, and I've got my agenda. You're saying me, my way, my agenda, and my my priorities. And there, there will be conflicts and disunity. But the moment that we are saying who is it that we are, are jointly serving and what, what are those values, there is zero argument. Yes, there was some discussion and some people were saying, well, no, I don't think that the value of the customer is that. I think it's this. And the other person said, well, I think it's this. Well, then it's easy. Go ask the customer. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the beauty of value of the end beneficiary of who, whatever you're doing is that it doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. It actually is independent. Whether you and I exist or don't exist, it exists. And I saw a shift the moment we did that in collaboration because no one was threatened anymore. This is the other thing. When we, when we, everyone, every individual works for themselves, there's nothing wrong with that. This, this is hu- the human condition. But when you find that common perspective, that purpose, then you collaborate in a way which is not threatening to you. And suddenly we were working and it was like a, a orchestra. There was communication. People, someone was saying, hey, guys, you know, on that project, here's my expertise. Here's how I'll, I'll contribute. Someone else is saying, okay, my contribution is this. The HR guys were saying, I will recruit in this way. And that is value. It's collaboration. It's cooperation. It's ownership. It's performance and perfect alignment of the organization. You know, and if, if you know, if, if I may, in here, the, the, in all five sections, the sections go like that. That first, I talk about the culture and the, the whole ideology and the understanding of culture, but the models of, uh, of value. Then in section two, we talk about the strategy and step by step, linearly, like you said, where does process come? Where does marketing come? It's sequential. Then in the third section, we talk about the mind. Because it doesn't matter how much strategy and all that you've planned and how much you've looked at the market, if you are in fear and worries and concerns, it ain't going to happen. Then section four is about the magnetism of you as as a leader and a bringer of value to your total people environment. Then the fifth section is about unity and what I call trust capital, building relationships. So look at the sequence and it's complete. Yeah. I, I couldn't have said it better myself, nor would I want to try. So I just, I'm glad that there's a lot of people. I mean, I, we, we talk about alignment all the time. So like you said, we should co-write the next book together. So we'll we'll talk about that. But since you, I, I can't emphasize how important it is what you were sharing about, that once you get yourself out of the way, especially in teams, and you think about the end customer, then it's not about being right. It's about delivering the most value. And I think that both for a sustainable and a successful future, our listeners will be best served by doing that and aligning their teams around what's really important. So uh, Sanjeev, thank you so much for the time today. Uh, Where can people pick up your book? Where can they connect with you and learn more about your work? Yeah, sure. So it's called The Ninth Gear. 
And I'll enjoy sharing that uh, at some point. It's Of course, it's on Amazon. It's in Barnes & Noble or wherever people uh, get their, their books. So, yeah, and I'm uh, connect with me. Uh, it's valuepreneurship.com or, or Sanjeev Lumba on, on LinkedIn. So join in. Let's have fun together. <laughs> awesome. Sanjeev, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was a super fun chat, and we definitely see eye to eye on a lot of things, but also learned a lot on, on different perspectives. So thanks for the time today. Thank you very much, Anthony. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Of course. So folks, my guest today, Sanjeev Lunba, who is the author of The Ninth Gear, talks about valuepreneurship. And one of the things that really sticks with me is when you can get your team to focus on that customer, the endpoint, and realize that you really have more aligned than you think, it will grease the wheels to be able to move forward. The last reason we didn't get a chance to talk about is the ability as for you as a leader to have that magnetism to draw your team towards that perspective. So making sure you follow those five steps to create a great recipe for success in your team so that you can create have transformation work for you instead of against you. So thank you so much for watching. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for listening wherever you are in the world today. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. And... Until next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.